Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, uh, finding financing for any small business is always difficult. It's particularly difficult in these day, uh, day and age. And if uh, the pundits are to believe, it'll be even worse in coming uh, um, months. But we have someone uh, with us today that uh, I, I know I'm looking forward to talking to. He's David Nielsen. He's co-founder and CEO of Guidance Financial. And uh, as we do with every uh, guest, we ask first for him to tell us a little bit about themselves before we really get into the topic. David, welcome to the program. Thank you. I, I apologize, though. This is David Levine, the author of If You Give a Donkey the White House. I think you may have me confused with a different David that you were expecting on the show. Well, uh, it won't be the first time I've done that. Dave Nielsen was supposed to be, uh, come on. Dave, you were supposed to uh, I know you were coming on, um, but uh, uh, we will, in the archive, uh, make sure we, we take care of this problem. But um, uh, <laughs> I happen to thoroughly enjoy your book. That's why you were invited on the program. Uh, Excellent. But, Thank you. No, um, uh, we try to be nonpartisan on, um, on this program. But uh, uh, first, Dave, David, just say a little bit about yourself, uh, background, and then we'll get into it, because what we'll talk about today is not only the book, but how you came to write it and how you got it to be published as you, as you did. It's a picture book, by the way, uh, uh, for our listening audience, and David will explain it a little bit. But tell us first, David, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I grew up actually in Los Angeles, and I've been on the East Coast now for about 20-something years. I came to college here. I've worked in the technology business since I graduated. But uh, settling in a suburb of New York City, I have four children, and I read books to them pretty much every night. I read multiple books to them before bedtime. And one of their favorite books, or series of books, I should say, is the Laura Numeroff series. If uh, you give a mouse a cookie, if you give a dog a donut, if you give a pig a pancake, etc., and these are very, very clever picture books that are really about unintended consequences. And I read these books to my kids regularly, and I come up with the idea for doing something as a political satire. And the reason where this stemmed from is the fact that I have a fairly conservative background. When I grew up, 
Um, I, I worked for a summer in the Office of Correspondence for Ronald Reagan after he was president. So I, I, I have a strong appreciation for some of the conservative values that he represented, and I believe in a lot of the same things that he did. He was really kind of a, an iconic figure to me as a teenager. Uh, and I've kind of followed in his footsteps, at least in terms of my political philosophies, and that's kind of shaped my thinking. Um, I've also had a, a, a tendency toward being a, a satirist, and I figured this might be a nice entree in making fun of the classic children's tale in the form of a political parody. Well, um, okay. I happen to be a conservative bent myself. I try to leave it out of uh, what we do. And I happen to uh, agree with you about uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, uh, I've been a journalist for most of my life. And uh, it's interesting how the media so missed the uh, uh, the affection the American people had for that man. Um, but anyway, having said that, so you, you decided you were going to uh, do a picture book, which, again, I, I, I cannot tell the audience enough how much I enjoyed it. And, not so. Uh, yes, it, it reflected a point of view, but also it was so well done and so uh, e readable and everything else that I thought um, uh, you, you, uh, I wanted you on the program. So you decided to write a book. Now, a lot in our audience always want to write a book. There's a saying that everybody has at least one book in them. So what? how did you go about... Um, Hey, finding an illustrator and all of that. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I found a, a publisher who was willing to provide me with an illustrator, and essentially, even though I have almost no artistic skills myself, uh, I was able to direct the art really to every fine detail so that I had an idea for a specific subtitle on a page, and I, I really understood exactly what I wanted on that page. So I told the illustrator, do X, Y, and Z, and he did what I kind of intended, and if it wasn't exactly what I told him, I went back and told him again and again and again and again until we finally got it right and ultimately became my picture book. Um, mm -hmm. But if anybody wants to write a book, they can, and even if they don't have the talent to do the illustration in a picture book, they can, because there are people who are willing to render their services to, uh, to do these types of things for you. And insofar as publishing is concerned, uh, it's very hard to get a, a traditional publisher to publish anything uh, that you have an, an interest in, unless you're you know, a, a particular expert in a subject or, or a celebrity of some sort. But uh, there, is, there is access at this point in the publishing world pretty much for everybody through the self-publishing industry. And that's essentially what I did. I found a self-publisher who was willing to help me out, and uh, the rest is history. And now if you give a donkey the White House, it's available wherever fine books are sold. Well, uh, okay. Now, what are you doing to promote your book besides be on my program? Well, I do a fair amount of uh, I've done a fair amount of radio shows in in various portions of the country, where I've talked to all kinds of people about what the book represents and where it fits in 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 the political dialogue that's going in that's going on in the country today. There's also uh, I've, I've I've been writing some things in uh, in, in various news outlets that kind of uh, promote some of the same ideas that the book is promoting. Uh, the book is really promoting a stance of, of limited and less intrusive government. Uh, the, whole, the, the idea behind the book is that once you get the government involved, you can never get the government out. And the government kind of takes over, and there are all sorts of unintended consequences 
that uh, you never could have possibly foreseen when you began your journey. Well, that's that's very true, uh, uh, David. Um, uh, you know, it's like the uh, I always use the example of uh, when you let the camel's nose in the uh, tent. Uh, pretty soon he, he's inside and you're outside. Exactly. That's that's exactly what this book is trying to illustrate in a very in very simple terms. I mean, we have we have all this very highfalutin discussion between the liberals and the conservatives over what what government's role is in life, and I basically boiled it down to a very simple story of a little boy who innocently allows a donkey to enter the White House and and run the country, and pretty much all hell breaks loose at that point. Well, that, that's very true. Now that you've written one book, are you going to write another? I'm thinking about it. I've got a couple of ideas, but I have not yet put pen to uh, to paper, as they say. So somewhere down the road, it may actually happen. But right now, I'm trying to get. If you give a donkey the White House, it's uh, it's it's fair time in the spotlight. Well, that's very true. But now, but now, um, since we have the time now till our next guest. Uh, let, let's. Um, what are some of the uh, pitfalls you've run, run into? For instance, you say you're on radio. Do you ever get uh, uh, announcers, uh, announcers or commentators to push back at you? Every once in a while, you get most of the people who are actually interested in discussing if you give a donkey the White House, they get the idea behind it, and they're generally on the pro side rather than on the con. But every mm-hmm. so often, there's somebody who doesn't necessarily appreciate it. And you run into somebody who writes a negative review for you on Amazon, and people who think it's just not funny, and you really have to have more appreciation for the government and what it does, and a little bit more patience for the government and what it might be able to do. But in general, I'm able to push that back with, with, some, you know, with, with some basic facts. The government has just gotten so big and so unwieldy, and there are so many unforeseen consequences of what we do when we let the government get out of control, that it's, it's really an, an, an easy discussion to have. So even if people are, are even if they're opposed, it's, it's not that difficult to counter the arguments of those who, who seek bigger government. Well, uh, having said that, um, uh, what, what are some of your arguments? You, you've got a, a forum here. 59% of uh, my audience is... Uh, our owners and or presidents of small businesses, which I think are one of the most uh, hardest hit of all sectors when it comes to government intrusion. Absolutely, and this is, that's a, that's, this, is, this is a classic case in point. If you look back at the history of the United States, there were three federal laws on the books. Piracy, treason, and I think, I, I forget the third one. I think the third one was, was, uh, was uh, counterfeiting. That's it. The federal government basically lived its life. It provided you with some sort of very wide parameter to live your life. It, it, it policed you. It enabled you to do what you wanted to do. Today, there are tens if not hundreds of thousands of federal rules and regulations. Every small business owner who wants to sell or provide a service, whatever it happens to be, he's stuck spending an inordinate amount of time having to deal with government regulation, either on a city or a state or a federal level, filling out forms, dealing with bureaucrats who aren't really interested in helping him. And, and, and why? Why should this be? What happened to America that this became the case? 
essentially when we let government in, government just kept getting bigger, and it still keeps getting bigger. And unfortunately, government has created a whole culture of, of dependency, that there's so many people out there who actually are getting benefits from the government, that it's, it's in their interest to keep that government in power and giving them the benefits that they are now accustomed to. Um, and this is obviously a big squeeze on the small business owner because he's just trying to earn, you know, earn some money. He's trying to make his business work, and he can't because the government's gotten so big and, and now feels that it's, its responsibility is to police him and regulate him and make his life more complicated than it, than it has to be. Um, and it's, it's not just in the world of small business, but I think this, this has ramifications all over the place. And the, 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 the central argument in my book is about health care, how the government decided to come in and regulate health care. Um, and I think we're just beginning to see the tip of the iceberg in, in the ways that it's going to be a disaster. I think a lot of people don't, don't think about the government the way they need to think about it. They think about the government as being these very handsome agents on on a crime-fighting drama on television where they solve the world's problems in 40 minutes without breaking a sweat, when in fact government is really much more closely related to your experience at the DMV or at the post office, where government isn't especially efficient or competent or helpful. It's just bureaucracy. And the more bureaucracy, I think the worse it is for everybody. Well, I wouldn't disagree with you. My favorite expression whenever I run into a problem with a bureaucrat is to quote Harry Truman. He said he thought the president was the servant of the people, and when he left the White House, he thought he got promoted. Very good. That's, That's so true, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and the point being, we had a lot less uh, bureaucrats. I'm letting my <coughs> bias show, which I don't like to do on a uh, on my own program, because uh, uh, I just, as a newsman, I was always taught you try to be uh, neutral when presenting information. But that, that, uh, that too, I think, has gone by the wayside. Um, uh, is your uh, an on-demand book, or is it a print? Have you did you print copies of your book, or how did you do it? It's, it's a print-on-demand. Most of most books at this point. Are, especially in the self-publishing world, are print-on-demand. There's nobody who's interested in, in running up a print of 10,000 books and sticking them in a warehouse and seeing if they sell. And because the print-on-demand technology is so good at this point, it's you as the, as the consumer who wants to buy a copy of If You Give a Donkey the White House are never going to know the difference whether or not that book has been stocked in a traditional Barnes & Noble bookstore or if it's been printed on demand as soon as you order it from Amazon. Yes, but unfortunately, uh, and what what to me is um, really sad about it is uh, you uh, your your books are really limited when you go to Barnes and Noble or any or a bookstore to what the buyers decide is good, and very very rarely do they give you the opportunity as a self publisher to get your book on their shelves. Did you try to get it on the shelf? I haven't yet. That may be next on my agenda. I think once you can generate a few sales yourself, then the bookstores are a little bit happier to give you some uh, some some book space. But yes, shelf space is is at a premium in most of these stores. So unless you're uh, J.K. Rowling or you're Tom Clancy, they're not so interested in promoting your book. 
No, nor our, our publishers. I should uh, uh, tell you, nor if you get a a a, 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 a regular publisher or, or a more traditional publisher, uh, even if they give you an advance, they really expect you to go out and market your book uh, yourself, no matter who you are, with the exception, as you say, of the Clancy's of this world or uh, J.K. Rowland. Um, right. The, the margins have become so razor thin, and there's so many people. There's so many people writing books. There's just so many books on the market at this point, uh, especially with the self-publishers out there eating into the potential profits of the traditional publishing houses, that it's becoming more and more competitive, and it's just more difficult for a, a first-time author to to get his book in, in in a traditional store. But that shouldn't stop anyone because everybody has to start somewhere, and uh, even even the most famous of authors often have their stories where they got rejected multiple times from some of the traditional publishers, and sooner or later they broke through. Well, uh, David, one question. Uh, you, you said that your publisher hooked you up with uh, your self-publisher. Which one? Uh, I, I gather you're satisfied with them as a self Yeah, the name of the publisher is Dog Ear Publishing. They're actually based out of Indiana. And it was it, it, they're essentially a small business. Um, they... There were a couple of executives from some of the larger publishing houses who I think became disenchanted at some point, or at least so their story goes, with the, with, with the companies that they were associated with, and they knew enough about the industry to launch their own business, and that's what they did. And they knew what authors needed and what authors wanted and what authors would be willing to pay for. Um, and they, they give the author the flexibility to, to do what he wants and promote the book and sell the book and publish the book as he sees fit. When you say that they, uh, um, uh, what do you pay for and what do you not pay for, uh, for our audience? You pretty much pay for everything. Um, obviously, you have to pay, you know, in, in my circumstance, you have to pay for an illustrator. Um, but then you, have to, and then you have to pay a certain amount of money to have the books printed because you're going to want a certain number of them just for yourself as an author. Um, there's a, you know, the initial print run costs something. You can pay additional fees if, if you feel it's warranted to have an editor work on it for you, if you feel that you need somebody illustrating a, a jacket cover or, or, or further parts of the design. So it's, it's all a la carte. So it, you know, if, if, it's, if it's a different type of book, if it's a traditional novel, you may not need very much. You may just need somebody to actually publish it for you and, and then submit it to the various places where it can be sold online. But again, that's something that they take care of for you. So if you want to buy my book, you can go to Amazon or you can go to Google Books or you can go to BarnesandNoble.com, and it's available there, and that's thanks to my publisher because that's something, that's a service that I paid them to, to take care of. Do you recommend them? Absolutely. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm just curious. Um, I, I have my own first, um, well, actually my fourth book, but my first fiction book coming out from a traditional publisher, but then I have another one, uh, a memoir, and I'm, I'm debating w whether to, to submit to uh, uh, um, a traditional publisher or go the uh, self-published route. Uh, there are obviously pros and cons to both. The self-publisher gives you more flexibility, and obviously the, the profits at the end of the day are, are yours rather than going mostly to the, to the publisher. If, if, you're, if you're an author and you work for Random House, you don't really get a very big cut of the book sales at the end of the day. 
then again, if Random House is, has the resources to promote your book in a way that they're going to sell many millions of copies, a very small piece of, of that pie could be much bigger than a, a large piece of a pie where it, 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 it's, your sales are negligible. Uh, David, um, really glad you came uh, today. Uh, I certainly learned a lot. I have to heartily recommend the book again. What's it called? If you give a donkey the White House. Well, um, I really, regardless of your uh, political affiliation, I, I thought it was a funny, thought-provoking book, and I, I really uh, welcome it, uh, encourage people to go out and, and get it. It really, it was fun. It's already thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, look forward and come back again with your next book. Will do. Uh, our next guest, hopefully, is David Nielsen. David? Hello? This is Ron George. Ah, Hello. okay. Ah, all right. We, we've had a mix-up in our uh, programming today. I have to blame the producer myself for it. Uh, Aaron Dora, your author of, of the book, The Book of Hard Truth which I thought was one of the better books. Uh, today I've been really lucky. Two of the best books that have come across my desk um, in a long time, and we're both appearing on the program. Welcome to the show. And I understand you're, Thank you calling, very much. Uh, and you're calling in from Israel. That's right. I'm calling in okay. from Tel Aviv. Okay. Um, well, welcome to the show. And we ask um, all of our guests to first tell us a little bit about themselves uh, before we get into uh, anything else. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, well, in school I studied history, uh, focusing on intellectual history, philosophy, but that's not actually what I did with my uh, work life. I, I actually uh, ended up working for a series of startups as a UX designer, which is user experience designer, um, and a product manager. Um, and so both my sort of interest in um, philosophy and ideas and the human mind uh, and my work, which is, um, which is about creating experiences and understanding the psychology of the user kind of came together in this project, this book project. Um, to create the Book of Heart Truth, which is really more of an experience than a book. Okay. Now, what is your book about? And what is uh, and what is it? I know what it is, but uh, I always like the author to tell, tell us uh, about the book and uh, what, you, what you're really uh, uh, trying to accomplish. Of course. Uh, so the Book of Heart Truth is a collection of 16 um, universal hard truths that people universally or almost universally have trouble accepting. Uh, so you can think about things like uh, our own mortality or limited time here on Earth, the fact that nothing is ever stable or permanent, um, our, you know, the, the fact that failure is part of our lives, um, pain, um, you know, our own search for, for ourselves, limited control. Uh, so these are some of the hard truths, but, uh, but the book is designed to be uh, a sort of an experience. So um, 
I worked with uh, one of the best illustrators, probably the best illustrator I know, John Cox, to create really a work of art for each one of these truths that really captures it and, and sort of softens it. Um, and the text really is, is meant to be uh, like a journey of discovery. It's almost like a pre-flight checklist uh, to check yourself, to see that you're okay, that you've accepted everything that you need to accept. Um, and that acceptance, really, what we found is that that type of acceptance is liberating. Um, and that type of journey can be very liberating for people. Well, you, you say that liberating in what sense? So I think, you know, there's there's a lot of inherent difficulties in life. Um, but But life becomes a lot harder when you're trying to resist difficulties that are really inevitable. Um, so, for instance, aging. Um, there's not much that we can do right now about aging, um, but we can we can accept it and live gracefully with it, or we can fight it, um, and you know, kind of just basically not accept it. Go through. I know you can do surgeries. You can you can find creams. You can you know you can just you can avoid looking at the mirror. Uh, you can buy I don't know. You can buy expensive sports vehicles. Um, and um, and really not not really accept it and be restless and and and, and suffer a lot more than you have to, uh, and I believe that it's the same with every one of these truths. Is is it's basically a part. It's a fundamental part of human nature that's a little bit unpleasant to accept. Um, but if you accept it, you free up a lot of energy and time, and and clarity uh, to deal with the the things that you can change and that you should focus on. Well, you. Uh... Many of us fear. Uh, I'm at that age, 72, where we kind of we're kind of looking backwards and fearing the future, but um, and we seem to always fear um, uh, and and the the specter of death is a lot closer than when we were 21. But um, how does one, in your opinion, deal with something like that? I think there's. There's a process that's very similar to the grief reaction um, in accepting something that's true but inevitable and, and very painful. Uh, so when we lose a good friend, uh, we might go through a, a certain number of stages. At first, we, we don't want to believe it, and you know, there's, there's anger, there's, there's a feeling of rebellion, there's all these stages. But in the end, you land at, at a much more peaceful and accepting place, and it's still sad but there's, there's not this sense of active struggle and active suffering. Um, and, I, and I think it's the same when we discover our own mortality. We go through this kind of process. Um, and, and, and it's just that some people go through it later in life. Some people go through it kind of earlier in life. Uh, but we all have to go through it, um, at, I think, at some point. Um, and so I, I guess it's the... Um, the advice of basically the Book of Hard Truth is not to avoid the unpleasant feelings, but to walk towards them, not to fight them and run away from them, but to walk towards them. Because once you finish going through this process of experiencing these unpleasant emotions, there's peace on the other side. Well, let's go. Uh, we could talk about this, but let's. How does your your prince your your thoughts apply? Our audience is small business, 59% of whom are owners or presidents. How, do, how does your, your uh, uh, 
but um, apply to them. What are the three things you reckon, uh, you you feel apply most closely to them? Yeah, so when we're talking about small businesses or startups, like the companies that I worked for, I think the the biggest uh, the most uh, poignant hard truth is sometimes the, untruth, the, the hard truth of uncertainty and the possibility of failure. Um, and those things are actually, um, you can take two different approaches to them, which are really polar opposites. One is to protect your feelings and to avoid feeling uncertainty. And you do that either by pretending that you're more certain than you are and making mistakes, or by avoiding risk altogether and not taking the risk that you should be taking, and all of that to protect your own feelings. Um, and there's the other path, which is doing what's right for the business, or what's right for the company, uh, which sometimes means that you actually have to live with a feeling of vulnerability and uncertainty, and okay, I'm doing something really risky right now. Uh, I'm investing, you know, I'm betting the company on this new approach. Um, and I think Entrepreneurs that have a comfort level with uncertainty uh, definitely, and you know, there's, there've been studies, uh, they show a higher level of success. And I would say definitely also a, a higher level of happiness because uncertainty is part of everyday life as well. So it, there's not much you can do about it except accept it. Well, you know, um, startups and people who do startups are, are have been told are people who. Um, uh, uh, jump off a cliff and hope somebody's building a swimming pool before they land. But um, right. But now uh, I'm in business. I've been in business a while. I'm not so much a startup. I'm I'm someone. What are some of the uh, principles that you espouse that apply to them? So I think uh, another another thing that really applies to business people is um, the, the need for focus. So um, one, of the, um, one of the hard truths in the book, number six, which is something that actually speaks to a lot of people and especially business people, is you can't do it all. Uh, you have limited time, limited resources, limited attention span, and you have to be very selective about what you do. And I think that translates really well to business, not, not only to life, but to business. Um, and really the best businesses are the ones that do a few things really well um, and, and let a lot go. A lot of opportunities, a lot of clients, um, you know, um, someone said once, you know, 80%, 20% of the clients bring 80% of the profit and then 20% of the clients bring 80% of the trouble. And they're not necessarily the same 20%. They're probably different 20%. Um, and so you, you have to say no to a lot of opportunities, a lot of dreams, um, a lot of features if you're building a software product like I was, uh, to focus on what really matters. So that's definitely uh, in there. And then understanding the limits of your control over the situation. So understanding that the limit to how, you, how much you can control situations, how much you can control other people, opportunities, and, and focusing very um, – narrowly on the things that you can affect and that you can control and that you can make better. Well, I know in reading your book, um, I, 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 have, I, I thought I violated almost every one of your tenets. Um, 
Sure, uh, me too. That's why I wrote it. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if I can. Um, uh, I don't know if I. Um, 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 I, I don't really know if um, um, uh, I can change at this late stage of my life. But uh, um, uh, you're on this program because I, I saw so many things that I wished I could um, uh, could have learned earlier in life. Well, give me another one that uh, uh, you feel apply to small business. I can think of a couple, but I'd like y- your thoughts. Um, so, so one thing that I think is really actually uh, important and undervalued in in the business world is um, the the role of ego in in our business interactions. And I think um, you know my uh, Hartree's number eleven is you're not special. Um, and and really, I think it, it's essential for uh, if you want to be a business leader or if you want to run your business and have employees it's essential that you're motivated from somewhere um, that, that's not ego-driven, that you're not trying to prove yourself, you're not trying to be better than, you're not, trying to go, you're not going for status. You really need to be motivated by what you're creating, um, the, the value you bring into people's lives, the, the type of work environment you want to, to create for people, um, and the welfare of everyone involved. And, and, and those people, people who are really motivated by that, I think are end up being a lot more successful than people who are trying to prove something to the world or trying to prove to themselves something that they can do it. Uh, that's, not very, that's not a very um, constructive motivation. It doesn't point you in the right direction. It will often lead you to make the wrong decision. Um, if, you're, you know, if you're trying to create a new product that does, doesn't exist, um, really, you should be motivated by, by how it can help the, cl- the client and not by how it reflects on you. Um, so so I, think, I think paying close attention to your own ego in business world and other people's egos, not to, not to, you know, not that ego is necessarily always bad, but that it can play a very harmful role if you're not aware of it. Well, that, that's pretty good advice. And since you're on such a good role... Try another one. Try another one. Um, so you know, I think um, I think the the failure one is, is the one that I mentioned is really uh, is really important. Um, you know, really accepting that failure. And you know, I, I actually in the startup world, I wrote an article recently um, to to a startup uh, magazine, and you know, one of my title one of my subtitles was, "You might actually be doomed." Uh, and, and what it means is in terms of if you have a startup idea, um, and we've learned that very, very well over the, the few companies that i worked for and others that I talked to, um, if you have a startup idea, it just it, there's a very good chance that it's just not good, that there's some reason out there either in the marketplace or in people's preferences or you know, in some, something about the way you're conceiving of this idea that just dooms it from the start. And, and actually, I believe if you come into this, if you come into um, the business world and kind of in, in, into this project recognizing that, then you become very, very interested in figuring out things that might not work. And they don't have to stop you, but they, they need to start some sort of process of thought. 
um, and get you thinking about what's the well, what's the next? You know, how do I deal with that? Do I need to change direction? Do I need to reconceive uh, this idea? Uh, but people who are unable to do that really end up um, making really silly mistakes, really kind of clinging to their original idea and, you know, just believing that their idea is good because it's their idea and they won't change it no matter what. And I think probably as very significant, as in over 50% of, of startup failures, I think, are coming from that sort of mentality, um, meaning like I'm, you don't assume that, you're, that you might be doomed. You assume that if you have an idea and you like it, then that means that it's a good idea, which is absolutely not true. Well, the name of uh, the name of the book uh, again, and your your name, and how they can re- how they can reach me. So um, I'm Aran Dror, E R A N D R O R, and the book is the Book of Hard Truth, and you can get it at hard-truth.com. Say it again. Uh, it's Iran Drawer. The book is The Book of Hard Truth, and you can get it at hard-truth.com. Well, uh, I heartily recommend the book because um, um, I heartily recommend the book because I, I found so many universal truths that... Um, as I said earlier, I I just felt so strongly against um, uh, that I wish I had um, uh, read it earlier in my career, and certainly uh, in the in the uh, fifteen plus years now that I've been an entrepreneur, um, uh, I, I really I I really heartily heartily recommend the book. That's the second book today. That uh, come across my desk that I just thought uh, people should hear directly from their author. Um, I, thank you very I, much. I, and I thank you for uh, calling in uh, from Israel for Tel Aviv today. Um, we'll we'll have you back on the program uh, later on in the year. Talk some more because I think uh, it's so uh, important that uh, it's so important that. Uh, people learn these universal truths. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a, have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Our next guest, uh, who uh, uh, through a, uh, again uh, a miscalculation on my part is David Nielsen. Uh, if he doesn't appear uh, at the, uh, after this commercial. We will uh, have him on the show another time. Uh, it's not his fault. It's my fault. Uh, I'm so used to doing this program later on in the day that uh, I inadvertently told him the wrong time. But uh, nonetheless, we're, we're trying to get him on now. And if we don't, we will, we will get him on uh, another time. Uh, but we're going to go to a commercial right now. And then, hopefully, he, they're, they're trying frantically to get him to to join us. 
Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2hsa.com. That's 2hsa.com. Well, David hasn't appeared, so we will say for this edition of Small Business Digest, uh, we're going to call it a day, but we will be back next week. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.